Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy to assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. This is The Guardian. On both yes and no and hard yes and hard no voters, it's the friends and families and the conversations that reinforce perceptions of the world that are no longer defined by a single gatekeeper. So I think it both talks to the complexity of making a case for change, but also the opportunity that is still in front of the yes case. Uh, Hello, lovely potters, and welcome to the show. You're with Catherine Murphy, political editor of Guardian Australia. And today we are going to dive into the latest Guardian Essential Poll numbers. And Peter Lewis is with me, my dear friend. He's uh, executive director at Essential and he's in Sydney. Hi, Peter. How are you? Hi, Catherine. I think I speak on behalf of all listeners. It's so great to have you back. (laughs) Maybe not all listeners. Well... I can't think of many. I know that we had a good time, me and Paul, but I've had lots of people coming up going, when's Catherine back? And so here you are. That's very sweet. Thank you. Okay, well, without further ado and without more embarrassing herograms, let's dive in to this fortnight's numbers. Now, we did look at a few issues, obviously, Peter, in the poll for this fortnight, but we zeroed in quite a bit on The Voice for obvious reasons. The uh, yes campaign was launched by the Prime Minister in Adelaide last week. Now, we know from our numbers that the number of people telling us that they intend to vote no overtook the number of people who are telling us that they intend to vote yes. That happened last month. Uh, The numbers in the latest survey are basically steady on where they were last month. To me, this suggests that the yes campaign is stuck. Do you think it's stuck? I think the campaign has really just begun. And, you know, in, you probably don't know, in Formula One racing, a lot of the race is done before the race actually begins. So there's pole position mm. and then depending how you've I've gone. I've watched Netflix. I've watched net, the Netflix documentary like everyone else. Very good. So, yeah, that's my authority too. So I know that Carlos Sainz got on the podium in Italy for the first time this year. Oh, look, I know all kinds of things about F1, but anyway. So I think it would be fair to say that the No campaign is beginning this in pole position, no pun. (laughs) However, let's talk this through. So we've got hard yes at 30, soft yes at 12, unsure at 10, soft no at 7, hard no at 41. So in terms of, and the other proviso here, as we always say, is this is a thermometer, not a scoreboard. So this is where we're starting from. 29% of votes in play, 
Although I would say soft no's, a lot of them are really just hard no's that aren't saying they're soft. So I'm not trying Mm -hmm. to gloss over the fact that I think the no campaign is in pole position. But there are some other numbers. I think it is fair to say that the yes campaign will be in a position to outspend the no campaign in paid media, and that hasn't really started yet. We saw the launch of the John Farnham ad over the weekend, and it's already in my ear like a really, I can't get it out, and I don't know if that's a good thing or not. But anyway, it's there, and it's a beautiful ad. Whether it shifts votes remains to be seen, but it's a great starting point. There is more money on the yes side. There is also many, many more volunteers. And a lot of the work we've been doing over the last few months has been not so much getting our vehicle in pole position, but at least getting the pit crew ready. And there are thousands and thousands of people that have signed up to be doing the difficult and challenging conversations in their communities that are required to build the understanding to move this forward. So on the old scoreboard, Noah's in pole position. We've got six weeks to run. It's not like a normal election where you're looking at specific seats. You've got to run at it really hard. And I think that's what the Yes campaign, of which I'm a proud partner, are really doing now. So I don't think it's the right categorisation to say it's stalled, mm-hmm. but it it really needs to build some velocity for now. <laughs> really need to rev the engine in the pit lane. Oh. Okay. Um, that wasn't even so... my metaphor of the week. It was much more feminine, <laughs> but we'll get to that later. No, I know. No, dresses, yeah, we will get there. Um, I'm curious because, uh, as you alluded to, uh, Peter, I've been away for a bit, so I'm having to read back in to a number of issues, including this one, because I haven't followed things as closely as I normally would. I discovered in sort of reading back and preparing myself for this conversation that our poll guardian essential lagged other surveys in this sort of negative turn. Mm. Just to sort of fill people in, obviously, when we started talking about The Voice many, many months ago, people didn't really know what it was, but they weren't particularly... But we were up 65, 35. (laughs) Exactly, but they they weren't negative about it. Uh, Basically, well, there's a few moving parts for why we've had the negative turn, but obviously the biggest one in my theatre in politics in the ecosystem I live in has been the end of bipartisanship or Peter Dutton confirming that he didn't intend to be bipartisan and basically support has sunk since then. Mm. But we were late in sort of picking up this negative turn. I just think a lot of people would be interested. Mm. Why do you think that is? So we were up until February doing what I had always said we shouldn't do with our party polling and forcing a choice and not leaving space for the don't knows. And we were curious about where our poll was sitting, the others, and we had this week, and I think I spoke to Paul about it at the time, where we ran a double sample, one of which where there was a choice and one of which where we had the don't knows and you could stay undecided, and the other where you forced a choice. And what we were finding was if you force people, they went to yes, but if you gave them the option to sit outside, Mm -hmm. they would take it. And then we interrogated that a little bit with focus groups as well. And we weren't so sure that those people were necessarily going to end up yes. So we were almost practicing what we preached since 2019. And we just put the undecideds back in there. And for the first couple of cycles, you could see that sitting there. And it was still, it probably narrowed it a little bit, but it was still, I think, 47, 43 with the 10 undecided. And then it, it totally flipped about two months ago. So I think there was a methodological shift, but I think there was also an atmospheric shift because I think 
I guess if you were to say to me, what was the one thing that's happened since I've been away? It was just the intensity within this little bubble that we call politics that goes out more broadly into the social ecosystem of the noise and anger. And I remember at the end of last year writing a piece saying, and it was kind of a bit like what you were saying on the weekend, Catherine, for this to get up, you need to have a bit of space and you need to have a bit of time for reflection and empathy. And what the No campaign's done really, really effectively, they haven't given any space. I don't want to bring another sport into it, but it's just like they've run this really intense game where every day is a contest being amplified by not just the Murdoch media, but I think to a large extent by media like the ABC that feel that they need to do both sides of the argument, that created this sense of false equivalence, but also fed off anger and division. Because if all you're asking people to do is sit down and have a think, like there's no clicks in that, right? And even in today's findings around trust, it's like they're getting all this information coming in. They don't really trust it, but it's actually taking away the space that's required for a mature public discussion. Mm, I want to drill down into that point in a little bit, just the sort of strategy around getting voters to be overloaded, for want of a better term, right? But again, I reckon our listeners will be really interested, Peter, if we can, with all the usual caveats, identify people who in general terms are in each of the camps at the moment. Mm. Now, we've we've identified in this week's data that, well, there's more hard no's than there are hard yeses at this point in time. Then, as you alluded to before, we've sort of got a persuadable cohort, which is, I think, 29% on our numbers, mm. which is a combo of people who are genuinely unsure and people who basically identify themselves as either a soft no or a soft yes. So you can put them into a persuadable basket. Sort of stepping back, if you had to describe who a hard no is, a hard no voter at this point in time, could we do that? Could we describe who a hard yes voter is at this point in time? Yeah. And then the persuadables sort of in the middle. So the hard no is your cranky uncle and <laughs> the soft yes is your um, lovely niece, um, to really break it down. Um, so this is it's such... The demographic split in age is just remarkable. So on over 55s, and it's even more stark over 70, we just don't get enough to make the sample each week, 60% hard no, just 19% hard yes, with only 20% yet to make up their mind. On the other side, with 18 to 34s, instead of 60% hard no, it's just 19% hard no, 41% hard yes. There's 24% soft yes and another 9% unsure. So we say that there is 30% in play, 20% over 55s, 40% under 34. Now, mm -hmm. What does that tell us? It, youth of today, like they're more progressive, but they're also less engaged, I think, is probably the bottom line, all of which is just a great advertisement for lowering the voting age. The story for the campaign where it finds a way to get through the Yes campaign is those younger voters are reached. The numbers say they're predisposed to vote yes anyway, and that there are enough of those just to shift to get narrowly across the line. 35 to 54s, which is those middle ages, is much more, again, down the middle. Um, at the moment, 41, yes, 49, no, and 12% unsure. So 
there are still a number of votes in those sort of more middle-aged, I don't even fit into middle age anymore, that's depressing, but anyway, in that cohort. So mm-hmm. I'll tell you one thing, it won't be decided through Sky or The Australian or Facebook because they're not mediums these people are on. It is going to be that, where do young people, they're, it's a disaggregated information ecosystem, much less likely to use traditional media forms, you know, much more likely to be doing performative social media on a TikTok and an Instagram, although there's some great content, including, you know, Matilda from The Guardian, who's putting analysis out on those platforms. And then on both yes and no and hard yes and hard no voters, it's the friends and families and the conversations that reinforce perceptions of the world that are no longer defined by a single gatekeeper. So Mm. I think it both talks to the, the complexity of making a case for change, but also the opportunity that is still in front of the S case. Mm. And picking up with opportunity, just to reinforce your point, the fact that there are persuadable cohorts here does indicate that there is opportunity over the coming weeks if basically the Yes campaign can connect with people via direct conversations and that filters through family groups. There's a reason I'm making that observation about family groups because, again, it's in our polling this fortnight Mm. and it's really, really interesting and so we'll come to that in a tick. So there is a persuadable cohort, but I think the poll this week also looks at two very critical contexts for this debate around the referendum. The first is economic conditions and material conditions that uh, families are dealing with at this point in time. So basically how stressed do people feel about their personal financial situation? There's that. That's one quite big context for the referendum conversation. Uh, The other one is just is trust. And we've touched on this a bit over the last few minutes that this is a very complicated environment from a trust perspective because to explain the voice, people have to be able to trust the person who's telling them the story about why this is a positive change for Australia's future. And the trust environment is very complicated and we've drilled in a bit to that, haven't we, in terms of the numbers. So let's do the economy first. What are the numbers in this fortnight telling us about how stressed out Australians are about their economic circumstances? So we've had, we have an anchor question which gives people four options, comfortable, secure, struggling and in serious difficulty. And then we kind of aggregate the two positives and the two negatives. In the last month, that has flipped into the negative. It's been moving up and down around that meridian for a few weeks now, but this week it's 54 who are either struggling, which is struggling a bit, 39 in serious difficulty, 16, compared to 46, which is comfortable. I don't have to worry about paying the bills, 11 and 34, secure, able to pay the bills, but a little bit worried. I don't think I've done the cross tabs on voice voting on this occasion unless you found it somewhere else, but we did do it in the previous cycle and it it was interesting. It wasn't as big an indicator of vote as age. So oh. it's easy to say, oh, so people under financial difficulty, but because more young people are under financial difficulty than older people, it, it yes. doesn't actually give that story. Um, what does change though around that cross tab as we showed, I think we put it in my Guardian column this week, is that the people that are voting a hard no are much less likely to trust 
any source mm. apart from friends and family. And so we did this overall, how much trust you have in the following sources around the voice. Traditional media, 14%, a lot of trust. Social media, 9%, a lot of trust. Paid advertisements, 8% trust, which is kind of the battlegrounds, right? And with, you know, most of those having close to social media, 52%, none at all. Yet that is the battleground. I guess you agree with your social media and not others. Um, traditional media was 14 a lot, 56 a little, and 30% none at all. And paid ads, mm. people's 49% not at all. Um, now, amongst people that are hard no, they are all about half that number of high levels of trust. So it, it's kind of this sense of the older cohorts that are still consuming it, but they're just disengaged with it. So again, it, it just speaks to the challenge of having what is a national conversation anymore? Is a national conversation two sides shouting at each other? Like if, if you were trying to write the textbook of how to do this properly, you'd have a foundational document, you'd have a discussion about the document and then you decide whether you wanted to accept it or not. But that's not what we're happening. The only discussion about the foundational document is Peter Credlin screaming that it's 26 pages rather than 400 words. And that has become a proxy for another, oh, there's a catch here, whereas no one's actually spending the time to read the 400 words that sort of frames the ask. We asked that question again this week and only 15% of Australians say they've taken the four minutes required to read it, which is remarkable, which says the other 85% are going to pass judgment on this really consequential mm, change without, consequential yeah. issue without taking the four minutes to read it, you know? so mm. um, It's curious though, isn't it? Because even though what our numbers sort of reveal or demonstrate is that we're living in a very low trust environment, like just as a generalisation, we're living in a low trust environment. People inclined to vote no are far less likely to trust traditional sources of information than people disposed to voting yes. But even still, everybody really doesn't trust much except their networks of family and friends. That's sort of the top of the pops on both of those cohorts. Who are also just as ill-informed because they don't trust yeah. anything except their families <laughs> no. and friends. No, no, no. I was sort of getting to the circularity of that. That's kind of strange. But it's also, even though... Even though people are saying they don't trust the mainstream media and they don't trust what they read or see or consume on social media, and I'm sure that's true as a sort of top-line sentiment, nonetheless, the campaign messages are sort of well and truly framed through those distribution channels, both mainstream media and social media. And so it's kind of a conundrum, isn't it? People say they don't trust it, but yet they still appear to be influenced by it. Yeah. And one more interesting stat, that the referendum pamphlet that's been sent to every Australian house, only 30% of people yes. have read that. Yes. 44% say they haven't received it, which means there's either a problem with the postal service or they're just putting it straight in the trash yeah. and the rest is sitting around. We often get this when we're talking to people about it, what would you like? Oh, more information. And it's not like the information's not there. It's just that we're conditioned, I think, just to be receivers and filterers of information now rather than hunters and gatherers. So because information's everywhere, it's not valued the same as it was mm. in the past. Mm. And so it all becomes really, really visceral, which is where we're actually at. So... Can I talk about the dress just really quickly? Yeah, well, I was going to say you've limbered up so beautifully, Peter, for the dress. 
really, with that observation. If you guys haven't read Peter's column, when we share the podcast with you, I'll I'll share a link so you can see exactly what he's talking about in terms of the dress analogy. But anyway, over to you, my friend, on the dress. Well, do you remember in 2015, there was the dress that broke the internet. It was a a wedding dress, some people saw it as gold and white, some people saw it as yeah. black and blue. And I've been thinking of dress a lot while I've been doing research into the voice for various people. And it's like this, you put the information in front of people and you can tell from the beginning whether it's going to work or not. If people walk into the discussion saying, I really want to be reassured that this is going to be what Indigenous people want and it's going to deliver some change. It works perfectly, like it is beautiful. And then if people come in looking for a hole, they look at the same information and at the end of it they just see a bigger hole. Mm. I started thinking it's not actually about the voice or the messages around the voice, it's actually about what people are bringing to that discussion. So in a way the campaign has to be about what people are feeling when they go through the gate or go into the ballot box. It's not actually about the thing, it's about us. Mm. And I think, Mm. you know, I hang on to things like a drowning man because I'm not that analytical, but it, it just helped me make sense of what's going on here, that if we are going to shift this, it's not about giving people more detail and more information because if they're asking for more detail, they're already gone because it's never going to satisfy them. And in a way, the setup of this has never been about the detail. It's been about the recognition and about a mechanism to make a change. And if people can feel that, whether it's because they're humming, bloody, you're the voice, or whether it's because they've gone to a workplace meeting where they've heard from a First Nations colleague or they've taken the time to read the statement from the heart, they feel okay about it. But if they go in having been exposed to the buffeting that's going on on their social media pro, and, and they're saying, well, you know, prove to me I don't have to pay to go to the beach, which has come up in mm. some of our focus mm. groups. Like, what more do they want? And like all these tropes, but none of them are particularly rational, but none of them are settled by the information. It's like if you go in there feeling like that, you're not going to come out the other side. So again, normally political advertising and political campaigns is about tapping into a vibe and going with it. This is different. I, I think we underestimated how different this was to an election campaign at the start of it. And and by different, because obviously election campaigns are national exercises in confirmation bias in, in the same way as what we're talking about here, obviously. But more self-interest, just like what's in it for you in an election and they tailor messages. This is about something outside. People. Yeah, something that isn't about you. Yes, that's very interesting, actually, as explaining the difference, that it's sort of something. Mm. Yeah, I listened to the Prime Minister quite a bit in, in question time saying things like, you know, the voice is an idea. And he's right, the voice is an idea, at least the level at which people are voting about the voice is an idea. It's about an institutionalised mechanism for listening for a traumatised community, basically. It is about an idea, but it's sort of like in a time when people are very focused on their material circumstances, although you're totally right to correct me that it's sort of the people most focused on their material circumstances are the young people who are largely voting yes. But even still, it's just intriguing to listen to it. And then we had a conversation, which you know we can share with the listeners in the office the other day, just about the, the Farnham ad, which you've mm. referred to, obviously, and you've gone full earworm with it. It's kind of like as, as a piece of political communication, what does that say? It basically says to people, you don't have to worry about this. 
this is okay, this is an idea, this is a nice idea. We've done lots of different ideas in the past and this is another nice idea that sort of won't cost you anything but is this sort of nice idea. You don't have to worry. So for the no's, it's kind of like there's not some secret conspiracy. This is okay. This is just progress walking in a straight line. It's so it's so interesting, Peter, this, this referendum campaign. And if it wasn't so consequential, it would be just a really interesting academic exercise, except it's not. Yes, I know. Yes. And yes, I just I, I can't even, I haven't even started thinking about the consequences if the polling is borne out, but I don't think it's just going to be something that is, oh, let's move on to the next poll. I think we are all going to own it collectively. And I think a lot of us individually as well. Oh, we're standing on a very big threshold here. Mm. And it's depending on how the vote lands, it's a very, very big threshold that we're standing on here. I completely Mm. agree with that. So let's finish on this note. We've been talking about lots of things, but it strikes me that if we sort of distill this down, the Prime Minister is saying, here's an idea. Please vote on an idea that improves the lot of a, a community in, in Australia that we have lots of data that indicates we need another mechanism, we need a new way forward. So vote on the idea. Uh, the opponents of The Voice are using conflict and division as a, as a strategy. And I think in terms of framing the issue, it's been quite successful. If you drive home in your car and you haven't got your Spotify on and you happen to listen to FM radio or whatever, you do. It's striking to me how often presenters say, oh, this is very divisive, this voice thing. And of course, it is divisive to the extent that people have different views about it. But it's sort of that frame of, oh, this is divisive. I think that is absolutely cut through. Mm. And that is the whole sort of frame for the discussion. So, you know, what do you think about that division as a strategy? It's sort of like, I'm fascinated by it because not only when we're talking about a threshold a minute ago, obviously we're standing on this big threshold for the country. Well, what do we do Mm. about this issue? But it's also consequential beyond that, I think, to the extent that you can kill an idea with the sense that it's polarising and divisive and scary. So, I mean, look, love, this isn't a new insight. You and I bang on about this sort of stuff all the time. Mm. But I'm just curious about that. An idea versus division as a strategy. What do you think about all that? Yeah. So it's almost, look what you made me do. (laughs) You've forced us to create this huge fight because you asked us to be unified and we don't want to be unified. Yeah. And again, I think the missing piece, and even in the groups we did as a companion to this report, a lot of people don't get that this came from the ground up, that it has majority support. It is still being seen as a Canberra idea. And if you look at all the Liberals, it's Canberra's voice. It is just dishonest. So the problem with the idea as it's been portrayed is that it doesn't make a huge difference to most people, but it makes a big difference to the people that have proposed it. And that contradiction has kind of had difficulty being explained and landed, but it is, I'm not going to say it's symbolic because I think it's more than that, mm. but I'm saying that it's, it is not a material change for the majority of people voting on it. So in that sense, you are right, it's an idea. On the other side, I think it's the division. I think the other bit though by design is, it's a remarkable proposition. If you don't know, vote no mm. means your strategy is to confuse. And mm. that's exactly what's been going on, to discombobulate people. And they go, I don't know. 
And so, again, that's part of the division play and it feeds into a media that wants to give two sides to every story. So every day there is that sense of both Indigenous people don't all agree on it and there's all this complexity, so I'm going to... I'll opt out. I, I don't want to get in, I'll opt out. And once you opt out, you're not ready to embrace the idea and it all passes over you. Now, maybe some of those people will still see the dress as gold, but a lot of them at this stage are seeing it as something darker. So... Um, I don't know if I've answered your question, no. but I do think it's like there are two very different games being played and they're not even games, they're campaigns being run. They are both being run by people that are convinced, I think, that they are on the side of right, but one of them is trying to <laughs> divide the nation by accusing the other side of being divisive <laughs> and the other one is trying to take the heat out of it and let people walk forward and just realising how difficult that is. Yeah, well, it's a possibly depressing note to end on, but a neat one. Yes, it's anyway very tricky, really, a tricky needle to thread. Uh, and I know everybody who listens to the pod regularly will be totally enthralled by how this all plays out over the next few weeks. So uh, thank you to you guys for listening. As always, we'll be back with another episode on Saturday. Uh, thank you to our producers for this conversation, Phoebe McElraith and Amel Toon. Uh, we'll catch you soon. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Before Shopify, were you wondering where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen.